0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Nevin Neal. right, let's look at these verses again. I'm going to break this down tonight into three parts. Verses 1 through 3, then verses 4 and 5, then verses 6 and 7. I began to say a few minutes ago, as I look at this and studied it, these first seven verses to me seem to be a further commentary on verses 24 and 25 and 26 of the previous chapter, 24 through 26, the previous chapter. He said, "Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, uh, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus." Now we come into chapter four. The first three verses will uh, will give this heading to these this point. The analogy of relationship that he establishes. So Paul's going to use an analogy, and he seems to be specifically speaking about the Jewish people in these first few verses, okay? I want you to notice something. And by the way, this is where words are important in our Bible, and here's why. If you're not careful, you could take these verses. I can envision anytime I've studied the Bible, I study it both, uh, I guess, at least these couple of ways, especially for preaching and teaching. Okay, what are we going to get from this? How is this going to help us? but also how could this be attacked or how could this text be used or even possibly misused by someone teaching the Bible. And if you wanted to, you could grab this as a Calvinist and the first few verses and say, see, we were already sons before we were ever come to faith in Christ. We were heirs by foreknowledge. But I think we need to be careful in how we read our Bibles. By the way, when you read something and you come to an interpretation of it and it's going to make you dismiss 15 or 20 other verses, be careful. And that's why we reject... By the way, let me just say, it's why we reject Calvinism. There are points of Calvinistic teaching that are true. Okay, so there is a doctrine called the doctrine of election. It's a Bible doctrine. We don't say we don't believe in election. No, we do because it's in the Bible. We just want to believe it the Bible way. We believe in foreknowledge of God. We believe in foreordination of God. But what we don't believe is how they take those terms, mingle them together, use them as though they mean the same things many times, and come to the conclusion that God saved you outside of your response in faith, and you have no decision in that. God handpicked these select people to be saved, and these select people not to be saved, and there's nothing you can do about that. God knows we don't know, so let's just move on with life. And Calvinism is false. It has bad fruit. The Bible says, by their fruit ye shall know them. Well, I would urge you, judge Calvinism by its fruit over the ages. And there are Calvinists, if I said this night. the first thing they would want to do is argue. As I said, judge it by its fruit. It is a rare thing to get into discussion with someone who is a self-professed Calvinist who doesn't, become contentious in a heartbeat, even if you're trying to have a sincere conversation. Only by pride come with contention, but with well-advised wisdom. So what I began to say is, uh, when we look at these things, and one of the reasons, the primary reason we reject Calvinism is because, yes, you can make a point from that verse and try to prove your point, but you'd have to reject those verses over there. So let me give you an example. I know I'm a little off point here. In Revelation 22, verse 17 says, The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth, say, come, and let him that is athirst, come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. But Calvinism contends that, that the atonement of Jesus Christ was limited to the elect. Letter L of the tulip is limited atonement, meaning Jesus only died for those who would come to faith in him. He only died for the elect. He did not die for every man. He did not die for those who would reject him. The atonement is limited to the elect. Revelation 22:17 is one verse. Hebrews 2, 9 is another one. He tasted death for every man. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2:2, 2, 2, 2, Peter 3, 9, he would have all men to come to repentance. And I've used all those verses in men who claim Calvinism and everyone they dismiss and say that's not what that means. Well, then I pray, tell me what it does. <laughs> I'm trying to say there might be a Calvinist who would run to Galatians 4 and say, ah, see, we were heirs even before we were heirs. We were When we were under the law, we weren't sinners under the law. We were just not yet at the knowledge of, and I've, I've never had this used per se, but let's read our Bibles. I believe as we read this, you're going to find Paul saying in verse 2, now I say that the heir... In verse 1, rather, as, uh, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. So he's using the analogy of here's a, here's a prince in a home. His dad is a king. He's an heir, but he's a child. You know he's going to be treated like? A servant. You do what you're told. You sit down, you're having school today. He's not going to be treated like an heir. He's going to be treated like a, like a child ought to be. You're, you're going to be treated like a servant. So the servant and the child, the heir, are treated exactly the same. Differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all but as under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, when we were children, notice he says in verse 3, the, the plural pronoun we, okay, when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world, verse 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now look at verse 6. And because ye... He's changing his terminology, changing the pronoun. Because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a what? You know what he's saying? We were sons like children under air. You Gentiles were servants, but we were all under the law. So the context is, we Gentiles, we had the promises, we had the law, we had the covenants, and he's talking about even Jews who were saved under the law, they were children by faith, but the fact is they were still under the law. And so Jew and Gentile alike, whether servant or son, doesn't matter. You were under the law, and you were treated equally. You are both under the laws. Make sense? So it goes on to saying, ye ye, uh, verse 6, because ye are sons, or excuse me, Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. By the way, uh, there were believers before Christ came into the world under the law, but you know what? Again, they were treated, this is what He's trying to teach them, whether Jew or Gentile, all were treated the same, Heirs and non-heirs under the law. The fact is that all were treated the same. And so then this idea of perhaps saying, well, you were already from God's point an heir, you were already a son of God before salvation. Now that's not borne out. The Bible says we were all by nature the children of wrath. That's the book of Ephesians. So I just want to throw that out of the way. Let's, Let's get that false view out of the way that somehow... You are already a son of God even before you were born again. Do you know there are people that believe that? That you were already in the elect before you came to faith in Christ. Now, I understand the foreknowledge of God. He knows the end from the beginning. But may I say this, you're not elect until you're in Christ. How many of you know that Isaiah chapter 42 calls Jesus Christ the elect? But we are elected where? In Him. And if you've not yet come to faith in Him, you're not in Him and you're not elect. You're not in the elect until you are in Christ, amen? So I want to just kind of throw that out of the way. So let's let's look at this in detail, verses 1 through 3. The analogy that he makes of relationship, he's going to contrast sons and servants here uh, in in setting up the purpose again, the education of the law. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, uh, but is under tutors and governors until the, what? Time appointed of the Father. Verse 3, even so we, there again talking about the the Jews that were under the law, when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. So a father knows a child needs an education. When that child has come to the point where the tutors and governors have made him ready, he's going to say now he is ready to receive the inheritance. And what what Paul is establishing, once again, is this dispensational aspect of the law. God implemented the law long enough to teach uh, those that would come, that needed to be brought to faith in Christ, to teach them the law is not given. Man, how many of us know this? There are rules implemented in a home that are not intended to be permanent rules in the life of a child. I'm, you know what? Case in Braden moved into their own place. I don't go over there and check their beds every morning to see if they've made them. No, they were given rules as children so that when they move into their own house, they can say, okay, you're now ready to take on responsibilities. Meaning there are certain things put in place for a period of time to bring us to a point of graduation. And the law, in the in the larger sense, was always, from the beginning, intended only to be for a time to put the the people under it to the point where they would realize what we need is a Savior. By the time Jesus came into this world, there were people like Mary and Joseph and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon and shepherds and wise men, Gentile wise men saying, what we need is a Messiah. (laughs) What got them there? The utter failure of a nation to keep a perfect law. God knew in his time frame how long it would take to teach you, you need the promised seed that I promised to Abraham. All the way back here, God told Abraham that in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And you know what they had to realize? We're not the seed. I'm not the seed, and he's not the seed, and David's not the seed, and Solomon's not the seed. But when Christ came, the law's intent was to say, there he is, that's what all of this was about to bring you to him. The ultimate purpose of the law was not a means of a it uh, was not a platform built for man to elevate himself nearer to God. It was a roadway, a roadmap to bring us to the person of Jesus Christ. We must remember that. And that's why Paul is saying you Galatians are going backwards. The law was not given for you to go from Christ back to the law. The law was to take you from your sin to Christ and you already came to Christ, you've done a U-turn, and you're going back the other way. And I'll just say it again. We have enough of this influence around here, Bonner's Baptist Church. I remember when we first started, one of the first things we had show up at our storefront building was some guy coming in wanting to peddle things about taking us back under the law. He had pamphlets in his hand. He said, can I hand these out? And I said, no. <laughs> and he didn't. But the point is, there are going to be those who want to influence you and by the way, take advantage if we're not strong and settled in our position in Christ. And you're... Let me, let me put you this. Let's link this to this morning Sunday school lesson. You're struggling with assurance of your salvation because you've never locked in the promises of God and say, You know what? When God promised to save me, He told the truth. And He did it. And whether I feel like a son of God, whether I think I am, whether I, my emotions tell me I am, that's what God says the person trusts Christ is. Therefore, by faith in Christ, I'm in the family of God. I have at my access all the riches of God through Jesus Christ. If that's not where you're at and you're still struggling, you might start grasping for things that will help you feel saved, such as changing your diet. Now, I'm all for having a healthy diet. That's fine. Do that. But when you change your diet because you're trying to comfort your heart and convince yourself you're really righteous. Meaning, if your assurance of salvation is, well, this is the diet I have, that's how I know I'm a really saved person. Uh-uh. That's wrong. There are those who say, Well, we, we you know we're supposed to take care for our bodies as the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's right. But your diet doesn't make you the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your faith in Christ makes you the temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, I know I'm saved because I don't worship on that Mark of the Beast Sunday. (laughs) I remember I had a guy, and I've talked about him more than once. He used to live back over here. He's passed away now. And I would meet him and knock on his door and try to give him the gospel. He was a hateful old guy. I mean, he really was. He was hateful. He would go into, well, you don't know the true meaning of the things of God, and you have to learn the Hebrew, and you people worship on Sunday, worship of the sun, God. I think when day I said, well, you worship on the Saturday, Saturn God. I, you know, if you want to go that route, we can go there. No, that has nothing to do with it. You know, where, you know where he was finding his righteousness? In the language he spoke, in the day in which he said he did church. By the way, that wasn't Sabbath anyway. Sabbath was not about assembly. The only time, I've said this before, but the point is, when they were going back under the law, they're missing the point. If you don't have assurance of your position in Christ then you might grasp at straws to give you that. It is vital for you to get a hold of the Word of God and let the Word of God get a hold of you and assure you what Christ did for you the day you trusted Him. The only thing you need to settle is, am I trusting Christ? You Don't even get into this. When? When did I? No, are you? And now, but I might have to modify my testimony. Who cares? Are you trusting Jesus Christ? That is salvation. I'm going to tell you, That's how I got assurance of my salvation. The Lord would challenge me. Who are you trusting right now to make you righteous? Jesus Christ. Do you believe He is who I say He is in my Bible, in my Word? Yeah, I do. And are you trusting Him or you? I'm trusting Him. Then you're saved. And then, then once upon that it was, well, when did that begin? Oh, that was when I first trusted Him back here. That's when I first trusted Christ to save me then that's when he did it. And he has been working in me ever since then. Don't, don't start out trying to figure out, you know, the, I believe there has to come a point in time when you put your faith in Christ. But if we're not careful, we get all hung up focusing where? On us rather than on him. And you say, what's this have to do with our message? Well, then you can be thrown by someone saying, no, the reason you don't really feel confident is because you're not keeping the law. You see, God saved you, but if you don't want to forfeit that salvation, you've got to maintain it. I mean, we are supposed to keep the commandments, aren't we? Let me ask you a question, Christian. Are you bound to the Ten Commandments? There are a lot of Christians I know that are deceived about this. Let's hang Ten Commandments everywhere. I'm good with that if you're going to use them right. But the Ten Commandments, there's something better than those Ten Commandments. He's living. (laughs) Let me ask you something. Which is better? Giving my children a list of ten rules or walking with them side by side, telling them moment by moment what to do? Which is better? Me or my written commandments? Me. The Lord Jesus said, commandments are done. You've got me. I'll whisper in your ear what you're supposed to do. I'll speak in your heart what you're supposed to do. Then you know what that is? You're not only consecrated in ten little dots that you're trying to prove to yourself you're righteous when you're not. You're actually consecrated by His very Word governing your life. And so uh, the point would be, Paul sets... Let's let's set up this, this analogy that as long as a son is, is under tutors and governors, he's treated just like a servant. Everyone's on the same page. Son and servant the same. The conclusion is this... Uh, that even so we, when we were children, meaning under the law, we were immature and did not fully understand. Do you realize people under the law did not grasp the fullness of the gospel? They by faith looked forward to it. I believe by faith Abraham was justified. David by faith was justified. But you realize you and I have a better comprehension of salvation than David did? He was a child. The, the nation was a child learning that they needed a Savior and who that would be. And so, under the law, the fullness of the time, the instruction was not finished. And Paul says, let's understand this. The law was for a temporary time for an ultimate purpose of bringing people to Christ. Just like a child. He is an heir. He's going to inherit, but he's not ready for the inheritance until he's learned what he's supposed to. And therefore, the same was true of the Jewish nation or even a proselyte Jew who would be a servant and not a son, right? They're not part of that lineage, yet they've come to believe the truth that's that's revealed. And so then the comparison made and the conclusion that was given is that, again, the law was intended uh, to be in in place for a temporary time until the fullness of time should come. That's why he goes into verse 4. Now we talk about not the analogy of a relationship, but the accomplishment of redemption. So he says, verse 3, "...even so when we were children..." were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So there's, again, a twofold example here. There's a point when a son when the adoption papers are given, he is ready to not only be called a son. He was already a son when he's under tutors and governors. But there comes a point when he is ready to receive the full weight of his inheritance. Now this is yours. This is entirely and fully yours, given to you from your father. And the servants, you know what? Jesus says in John chapter 8, he talks about whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. But the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And the idea is the contrast between a son and a servant. When we come to faith in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, we are all now sons. So the immature son who wasn't wasn't ready to receive his adoption and the servant who was not a son, both are given the same thing. Adoption, Into the family of God. The accomplishment of redemption. uh, He speaks again of the period of time. I love verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come. I do not understand people that are not dispensational in this sense. Uh, There is a time when God said, okay, the law has fulfilled its purpose. Done. That portion we've done using this period of time to teach people they need a Savior. Now it's time for the one we've been preparing for to come. God looked down and said, now's the time. And that's when Gabriel was sent to Mary and said, you're going to conceive, and she did. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, the virgin, a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, a fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, and a host of other scriptures. And so at a period of time of God's own wisdom, he said, okay, enough enough instruction has been given. Do you realize when God sent forth, forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, there had not been revelation from God to Israel for 400 years. God had gone silent on them. He said, here's my law. Keep it and I'll bless you. Break it and I'll curse you. Boy, were they under the curse. They had been sent off into captivity and to Babylon, sent off into captivity into Assyria. They had been in and out of captivity and could not maintain the land because of disobedience. Every time they got back in the land, they turned to idols. Now God says, now it's time for me to fulfill my promise made all the way back here to Abraham. The law has served its purpose. It has prepared a people for the heir so that you can be heirs together with him. And so then God sent forth his son at the right period of time, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Why? That we might receive the adoption of sons. So God can give you the inheritance he has prepared for you. God sent forth his son. Our sonship is through the person of Christ, which we well know. But the, 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 what's dealt with here is that there was a period of time it served its purpose, then God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Let me give you these verses just for your notes. If you want to jot them down, the, the, the term adoption is used five times in Scripture. It's here in Galatians 4, 5. It's also in Romans eight fifteen. It's in Romans eight twenty three. It's in Romans 9, verse 4, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. I'm not sure if the Lord will lead this way. Perhaps we'll bring an entire message on the subject of adoption and what all that entails. But I would remind us tonight of John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Look with me very quickly at 1 John chapter 3, if you would. And again, we'll be touching on this in our Sunday school lesson on assurance. Some of you already have been through that, some of you young ladies. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we. All right, so are we waiting to become the sons of God or are we present tense? Present tense. Now are we the sons of God. So we're already children of God. But he's going to explain. But we haven't gotten the full inheritance yet. Because look what he says. And it doth not yet appear. We can't see what it's going to be like once we get our glorified bodies. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Paul is dealing with. this whole concept of sonship once again. See, when you were under the law, you were under all these ordinances because the law was like a schoolmaster. It was your governor teaching you that you need a Savior, teaching you that you cannot make yourself righteous, teaching you that Christ is the seed to come. That's what the law is intended to do. But once it's fulfilled its purpose, you're ready now for sonship. You're ready to behave as a child of God, not a servant that has to be ruled constantly by rules, but someone who is actually a child of God. Is the relationship of a servant different than a relationship of a son? It is. The servant is constantly commanded to do this and that, not that children are not commanded. How many understand that sons are commanded? But if a servant doesn't obey, what do you do? You fire him. You don't keep a servant who won't obey. But the son is always a son. See... The maintaining of a servant is conditional on the servant's behavior. Would you agree? The keeping of a son is maintained upon the position of relationship. They're your son regardless. And what Paul is saying is through faith in Jesus Christ, you're, no, you're not servants. You're sons. We've got we to get that nailed down in our hearts and minds that the relationship of a father and a son is a permanent relationship. That of a servant is not, but that of a son is. Verses 6 and 7 now. The application to us as the redeemed. Okay, so he's dealt with the analogy of relationship of son versus servant. And then the accomplishment of redemption, the period of time for the law and the presentation of Christ to us as Savior. The purpose that we might receive the adoption of sons. Verse 6. And because ye are sons. He doesn't say to the Galatians, because ye were sons. Didn't he say they got bewitched? then shouldn't he have used the past tense term were instead of are? I mean, bewitched people don't deserve to be sons, do they? No, but they didn't deserve to be sons in the first place. So he reminds them, you are still the sons of God. You've been deceived, you've been fooled about who you are and what Christ has done for you. But I want to remind you of your position in Christ. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba. Father, wherefore, thou art no more servant. You're not a servant anymore. You're not under rules and regulations that are conditional. You are now sons of God. Your relationship to God changed when you put your trust in Christ. Through Christ, you are in that promised seed. You are sons of God by faith. You're no more servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And you think about this. What if you got a letter from rich uncle so-and-so? Well, rich aunt so-and-so, and she says, Uncle so-and-so died, and part of his will was to leave you part of his inheritance. And let's say you knew your uncle, and you knew that he had lived in the same single wide trailer for the last 75 years, still driving a horse and buggy, no running water, no electricity in his house, and no bank accounts. You're like, woohoo. <laughs> What am I getting from Uncle so-and-so? Well, he did leave you one of his broken shotguns. It doesn't work anymore, but you might want to put it above your fireplace. And he left you a bridle for his horse. Oh, joy. How do I get it? Would anybody be excited? But let's say you knew Uncle so-and-so owned three multi-million dollar companies. And you find out you're his heir. Anybody getting excited? Now, I'm telling you, we live below our privileges. Our Father, literally, this is not rhetoric. It's not not trying to get people excited. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We talk about ownership. God loans everything to everybody. It's truth. He loans His real estate to people and lets them use it. We have to remember this. When we're talking about physical possessions. Those are, the, those are the cheap things that can be lost in a moment. What about the spiritual riches we have? How much wisdom is given us in Christ? The wisdom that created the universe. We are heirs of that. How often do we, do we draw on our account? How often do we take full advantage of our position of sons to say, you know what, this is why the Lord Jesus said, I want you, you've not prayed to the Father, but I want you to. I want you to pray to the Father in my name because through me you have the same standing I do. Because of what I came and did for you, you're no longer servants. I no longer call you servants, he says in John fifteen fifteen, I call you friends. When he, when he raised from the dead, he tells Mary, you go tell my brethren, I ascend to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God in Hebrews, the Bible says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. The Lord Jesus is willing to call you a brother, meaning he, through his sacrifice, says, I will come so they can have the same privileges of sonship of God that I have. Through Christ, we are sons of God. We have access to the very God of heaven. And the Galatians are going back to a bunch of rules There's nothing wrong with rules, but there's something better than rules. By the way, if you're a son, you'll have rules. You know what a mature son does? He obeys the rules without anybody making him. He doesn't say, now that I'm a grown-up, I don't have any rules. A grown-up son says, I appreciate the rules I was given because of the goodness of my heavenly father, and I'll do anything he wants if he gave me such an inheritance. So being in Christ and having sonship doesn't mean no rules. It just means I have a different attitude about the rules because I'm not a servant who has animosity toward my master. I'm a son who loves my father. You with me, tonight? Yeah, there always be rules in our life. It's just dependent on who's going to shell them out. And so we understand this. And that, by the way, my rule-keeping is not what made me a son. It's not what keeps me a son. Amen? It's Christ that makes that difference. And so... The application to us is this, our possession. He says, and because ye are sons, uh, in verse 6, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look back at Romans 8 quickly, if you would. Romans chapter 8. All of Romans 8 deals with our relationship with the Holy Spirit, His indwelling. This idea of the Spirit crying, Abba, Father, is the same thing First John deals with when he says... Um, that he, he that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. When you've come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is given to dwell in your heart just like Jesus promised in John 7, and he's crying, Abba, Father, meaning he's stirring your heart to respond to God as your loving, gentle, caring Father. I understand that Abba, Father, would be like a little child saying, Daddy! We're not just talking about using some technical term. Can I encourage you to stop and think about the fact that now that you've come to faith in Christ God is your father. This is why I say But David said this, he said though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. He had some glimpse of the fatherhood of God for those who had faith in him and so for us tonight may I say this, my children are in this room, your earthly father has multiple deficiencies, but that is never, ever going to be a a viable excuse for not serving God, because your heavenly father has none. Amen? As parents, by the way, we would be oh so wise to help our children understand this, because if you have been a child, you know that the deficiencies of an earthly parent become quickly an excuse for sins in our life. Well, my mom and dad failed me here and they never taught me this and they didn't do that. I'm going to tell you something. My parents had deficiencies too, but the one thing they did not have a deficiency in is telling me about the sufficiency of God. So if we failed you, he won't. Let me ask you something. Where has God failed you tonight? How, How many of us have ever truly trusted his word, acted on it, and not seen him honor his word? If someone told me I trusted God and He didn't honor His word, I'd look them square in the eye and say, You're not telling the truth. Because God never fails on His word. Not ever. And so the point would be this tonight. We have a position, a possession. We have the Spirit of God because we've trusted Christ. God put His Spirit in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. The Bible says in verse 14, Romans 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Meaning, if I don't do right, he'll get rid of me. Isn't that the spirit of bondage again to fear? I've got to do everything just right or he'll boot me out. Is that how you got in? (laughs) How many of you were obeying God perfectly the day you called on Christ? No, that's why you called on Christ. Because you weren't. (laughs) Amen? You came to realize, I am a sinner I am in trouble, I am in trouble with God. And so you cried out for mercy and he gave it. No, 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 we're not in the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We're not saying, Master, please be patient one more time. I know I disobeyed you again. Please don't execute me. Please don't throw me out. No, we're children. I've never had any one of my earthly children come and say, are you going to disown me? i am in days with... probably some days they want to disown me. I don't know. Uh, the fact of the matter is, there's days I'm displeased with them. It's never crossed my mind. I don't want that kid to be my child. On the worst of days, when they were trying or testing or disobeying, I've never thought, man, I wish that kid wasn't mine. Never. And I'm an earthly sinful man. How about God? Once he has received us in Christ, how many of you think God's going to say, you know what, Jesus, I don't want you. You're not my son anymore. Well, remember, our position as sons is through him. So the only way he's going to reject us is if he rejects Christ, and that ain't happening. We just need to get a hold of the fact tonight that God has given his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, reminding us, you're now God's children. By the way, for those who believe you lose your salvation, they just need to take their scissors and cut Romans out. I don't know how you could believe it. How could you believe that as a son of God, God's going to say, Nope, I excommunicate you. Hebrews 12 makes it abundantly clear. He doesn't boot you out of the family. He gives you a spanking. He chastens you. Why? Because you're his son. You're not a servant anymore. You're not going to be thrown away. You're not going to be discarded. You're going to be chastened and corrected and taught how to live as a son of God. By the way, if you're saved tonight, that might help you understand your life a little better. You, you might have some trouble in your life and say, is this saying I'm not a child of God? The grief in your soul and the trouble in your life is probably saying that you are a child of God. Because once you're saved, you can sin, but you can't sin and enjoy it for very long. Amen? And I know oh, I'm preaching some things tonight we're going to be dealing with in Sunday school here in a week or two. But the fact of the matter is, we have the Spirit of God in our hearts. The plea of our heart is Abba, Father, the Spirit of God. His Romans 8 tell us, His Spirit, verse 16, the Spirit itself... Beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And we go on and on and on. And so then the application to us is that we have the possession of the Holy Spirit because of Christ The plea of our heart is, Abba, Father. And then he speaks of our position once again in verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant. Under the law, yes, a servant, but not anymore. You've come to the lesson of the law, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That doesn't mean we don't serve God. He's dealing with, are you a servant under bondage? Meaning you have to serve because the law makes you. Or are you a son free to serve because of who you belong to? So it doesn't mean the child of God doesn't serve. It just means it's dealing with our, our relationship changed. And so then, we're no longer under that law. Look at John twenty seventeen. I referenced this earlier. It's what the Lord Jesus says to Mary on the morning of his resurrection about the relationship to his disciples. And in verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren... And say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Here's why Paul was laying this down to the Galatians. You're acting like servants who are under the restrictions of a master's law. That's what the law was to you. But you need to understand your sons with a secure position in Christ. So instead of behaving like servants who are afraid of your master, behave like sons endeared to your father. The law did its work. It brought you to the point of faith in Christ, and that made you sons of God by faith in Christ. You're not a servant anymore. You're a son. It's an entirely different relationship. How many of us understand an employer treats his employees differently than he treats his children? That's that's where we live. Very differently. You have an employee that does not obey your rules. He lives... You know how how many employees... Are punctual simply because they're afraid of being fired. That's the only reason they're on time. I like eating and I want to keep my paycheck. I don't, I didn't learn from my boss. I don't go to him and say, Oh, let me learn of your character. No, he has the power to, to, to ruin my life. And so I will obey him out of fear of losing my job. I didn't want to work this Saturday, but I will because if I don't, he'll probably fire me. But you know what? Not a son. Son doesn't behave that way. At least he shouldn't. Again. Every son understands the relationship you have with your parent is a permanent one. So Paul is helping them understand you're going back to acting like servants bound by fear rather than sons confident that you belong to God. And tonight, God would have you understand if you've trusted Christ and are trusting Christ, you're not a servant living terrified of displeasing your master lest he excommunicates you. You know what under the law? You know what the law gendered? Fear. And rightfully so. But Christ came to take away that fear so that our relationship with God would change. Our relationship to the law would change. I am no longer a servant under the law. I am now a son of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You know what that ought to bring to our heart? Help me tonight. If you get a hold of this truth, there's a word I'm thinking of. You know, faith causes us to call on Christ. It causes us to rely on him. But faith should take us further than reliance upon him for the forgiveness of our sins. There's another word, if we're going to alliterate, you could come to. Faith ought to cause us to rest in him, meaning it's done. I'm in. Is that different than saying, I hope I'm in. I'm trying to be in. I'm trying to stay in. Have you come to faith in Christ? Did the law condemn you and help you understand? Without the righteousness of Christ, I am not fit for God. But I'm trusting him. Then you know what the Spirit of God is saying to you? Then rest in him. He's done it. You're in the family. Then you know what you need to do? You need to enjoy the privileges of your sonship. And I don't mean pleasure like go have fun. I mean realize what God's done for you. You are a member of the family of God. You know what? I enjoy. Yesterday our family got to all be together at one time around a table. Uh, That doesn't happen very Sunday afternoons. Uh, now the boys have moved out. They're working. We, we're scattered hither and yon. But boy, I enjoy that. All our family in one place at one time. You know what church is? It's family coming together. You know what? We ought to say, praise God. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about what God's going to do with me. What does he do with sons? He welcomes them home. You know what we ought to be looking forward to? I cannot wait. I'm, I'm going to walk through this pilgrimage. One of these days, I get to go meet my father face to face. If sons, then heirs. You know what we ought to do? Settle into that. Quit worrying. If you've come to faith in Christ, don't worry about your salvation. It is finished. But rather, no, you're a child of God. So go to your father and say, okay, I I know I belong to you. Well, you know what? If he's the father and we're the son, what did Jesus say? I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So that that, that is what leads to a life of settled obedience is knowing what Christ has done for you knowing your eternity is settled knowing your security is in him and when you get that settled position of sonship it liberates us to serve God as we should mm-hmm.